listening to First Church Charlotte. Daddy's rich and your mama's good looking, so hush little baby, don't you cry. Now in my house we sing it, your daddy's, your mama's rich and your daddy's good looking. Which, quite like Samuel said, is just another lie, you know. <laughs> Uh, some of you are back from vacations. Thank you, God. We missed you very much. We're depressed without you here, so we just canceled all the services. And now that you're back, we're pretending that we're okay. And so uh, some, some, some people just got discouraged by the rain. Uh, that's normal. Some people just stayed home. Uh, that's how that works. Uh, but those of you who made it out today, I want to preach to you as best I can. Because today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, quick joke, uh, a lady came to church and she was fumbling in her purse trying to find her offering and a great big remote, TV remote, fell out of her purse on the ground and clattered on the ground. And an usher was curious and he, he, he came over and bent down to retrieve it for her and he said, sister, do you always carry your TV remote to church? She said, no, but my husband refused to come with me this morning, and this is the most evil thing I could do to him legally. <laughs> A little bit too much truth right there. Stand with me. Second Corinthians. We'll read it, chapter number 10. My title today is The War Within, and we're going to talk a little bit about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, and how we live this out on a regular basis, how we can have victory in our life, and how we can grow into who we need to be in God, and to accomplish the work we have been ordained to do. Verse number three for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. Somebody say mighty. Say it like you mean it, but mighty. Better, better. See, I like you more there. Not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Amen. The war within, before you're seated, fist bump your neighbor and say, church is better when you're here. Amen. God bless you all. <clears throat> I want to start with answering this question of why, why you should care about spiritual warfare. Uh, what are we talking about? What, what, why should you care about that at all? Now, if you've been in church for a little while and you are striving on a regular daily basis to be a spiritual person, uh, if you're striving to be a spiritual person, what you'll, uh, this, this whole idea, the subject, the teaching, the preaching, it'll make sense to you. You're really comfortable with the idea of the spirit and the flesh being incompatible. And you're familiar with the idea of the flesh warring against the spirit. 
Um, it makes perfect sense to you. You're ready to go. You're ready to get started. Now, if you haven't attended church in a while or it's kind of you haven't been in a real spiritual season of your life, and uh, you might even have been coming to church but be mostly backslid on the inside. You know who you are. See, that was funny, and nobody laughed. You were like, that's me. That's me. I confess it. I'm sorry, my God. Just have an altar call. Uh, <laughs> um, if you're not at a spiritual stage of your life, and if you're, this whole idea of spiritual warfare seems crazy to you. Uh, if you were to start, stop somebody on the street and talk about spiritual warfare with them, a lot of them, now if they grew up in church, that's one thing, but if they didn't, they would look at you kind of like, what is that, like a rap battle? I mean, I don't even know, what's, what's, what do you mean, spiritual warfare? Uh, so I want to take a moment here and tell you why you should care about spiritual warfare. Uh, first of all, God has promised to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the first reason why you should care about spiritual warfare. Because you, as you progress toward God, as you grow in the knowledge of God, and you grow in understanding of Scripture, you yourself will begin being transformed to us, to be more like Him. And you need that. Otherwise, you're stuck in your sins. You're stuck in the reality of however good you're doing. You haven't power to be an overcomer. And if there's one thing I know, you need the power of God in your life to be an overcomer. It's so much easier to serve God with the authority of the Spirit upon you. There's so much more joy walking with Him when the Holy Ghost is close to you and you're experiencing His presence. There is the promise of a transformed you. That's the first reason why you should care about spiritual warfare. And the second reason you should care for trans, uh, for, for uh, spiritual warfare is because God wants to use you to bring about a transformation in this world, a transformation in this generation, in this society. Both of those things, whether the inner battle that is within, the battle within of personal transformation is being uh, fought, or whether or not the people of God are manifesting the kingdom of God through the fruit of the Spirit, and through the miraculous demonstration of God's power, both of those require effective spiritual warfare. In the first hand, you have to find victory for your own life. You need to be transformed. The Lord has given you everything you need to be changed into his likeness, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is there anybody in the house who agrees with me? The Lord has made it possible. Now, how, how does this transformation begin? The first battle is is always within you. Um, it's difficult to change the world when you yourself are not being renewed into uh, the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first spiritual battle that must be won is the battle within. If you are losing the battle within, you are essentially uh, ineffective to make a difference in the world. This is why the enemy of your soul wants to keep you filled with doubt and fear, because if the battle is uh, can stay within in you, you will never have an influence in your life. But if you can get to a place of Holy Ghost victory and Holy Spirit anointing, now you're able to be a tool in the hand of God and do effective spiritual warfare beyond your own needs. 
All right, so stay, stay with me here for a little while today. So uh, when we talk about spiritual warfare and we talk about what it means in our, our, our individual lives, uh, we are reminded of how we lost as a people, as humanity. We lost our place of creation. God had created us, placed us in a garden of spiritual communion. That was the point of the Garden of Eden, that he, the creator, might commune with we, his creation. And the way it was designed was that we would focus all of our love upon him. That manifests itself in the form of worship. You were created to be a worshiper. You will worship something. You may or may not worship God, but you will worship something because you are created to have aspirations and to incline yourself toward an ideal. You are created that way, and it is true in all cultures, all communities. And so we, in our right creation, uh, uh, gather our emotions, our, our, our mind, our spirit, all of our affections and through worship, we offer ourselves to God. God, in his gift of sovereignty, in other words, you are not a robot. You have to choose to walk with God. You have to choose to please him. There is no love affair that is possible with an automaton. You can't get a computer and say, coding in now, hashtag, hashtag, 7692 When I say I love you, you blush and say I love you too. There's nothing exciting about that. Because one day the computer will crash and it'll be like, and then you'll know the joke's on you. For there to be a love story, you have to have the option of walking away. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. I want to try that same idea over here. For there to be a love story, you have to have the right to say no and walk away. So for God to give all his love for us is what he did at the moment of creation when he gave us a piece of himself. We are made in his image. And as he is a creator, we are a creator. As he creates a world, we create a world. As he is, we are. That's the gift of God. And this is him shining all of his love, all his nurturing affection, his father heart is shining upon us in the form of divine gift. And we, in response, offer all of our love, all of our being, and through worship we offer it back to him. And so spiritual communion is attained and we sit or stand or walk or live face to face with God. All of us to him and all of him for us us. I am yours and you are mine. That was the garden of communion. We call it Eden. But because we had the option of choosing different, Eve was susceptible to sin. And rather than choosing to commune with God, she sought to compete. Rather than communing, she sought to compete and the path of deception was the devil saying, if you partake of this forbidden tree, you will be like God. There is no risk of us being like God. That is like the genie trick where they say, ask me a wish and you say everything I touch turned to gold and then you die of starvation because you didn't know what you needed. That's the genie trick right there. You will be like God. Uh, no, we were already like God. That is the snare of sin and the lie of hell. To sell you something at the price of your soul that God's already given to you for free. That's some good preaching. You keep that right up, brother. 
And so here is the deception, and 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 there is now this rem- there the, the opportunity for to, for us to exist face to face with God, where all of he of all that he is is uh, shined upon us, and all that we are is given back to him. And so we have uh, creation and gift of heaven, and we have worship and adoration of earth. And this is what is broken in the garden in the Garden of Eden. And since that time, the story of grace, the story of the gospel is God paying a price so those who would choose to can get back to the tree of life. You see, when you choose sin, you don't just choose death, you also lose life. But through his spirit, we are able to get back to the tree of life. That's what good church really is. That's what good, healthy church culture is. We are a a tree of life, and we are extending life into the community where God has placed us. When you're doing it right, it is as though there's always life flowing through you. There's an abundance of goodness, an abundance of love that flows through you into the community where you you are living. And so this is the battleground between flesh and spirit. Uh, This decision that exists in our lives of whether or not we turn back to fellowship and restore love. Don't just like that's the motivating factor of everything that God is. Uh, Restore that versus the way of the flesh. So when we talk about spiritual warfare and what it means to live carnally and what it means to live spiritually, there's a a lot here. Uh, I just want to touch it very quickly. I will I've talked about it before. I will talk about it more in the future. Uh, it's really, it's revolutionary to me to understand this and not just to understand it, but to actively apply it in my life. So I want to explain the difference. Let's say you're just a carnal guy, carnal gal. You just, you're just living by your own way. Uh, your primary motivation is going to be fear. Why? Well, you know that bad things happen to people. You know that you can get sick. You know you can lose your job. Uh, you know your friends may uh, be making fun of you behind your back. You moving right along. Uh, you know relationships may fail. You know, life is tough, man. And your primary motivation is fear. Fear, 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 fear. Now, that is the negative, like poles of the earth where the electromagnetic pull of the, the, the planet itself is directed to two different poles of, 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 not, uh, of uh, they, it's not so much that they're opposites, uh, they are opposites, but it's that they are respective spheres of pull. So on one hand, for the carnal life, there is fear. I, I could lose my job. I could think bad things could happen. Blah, 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 blah. Fear, 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 fear. The opposite of the carnal life is lust. Fear and lust. Fear is the negative. Something could be taken away from me, 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 me. Something bad could happen to me, 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 me. Bad struggles could exist for me. I could have, I could lose my job. It'd be terrible for me. You might say something ugly about me. Fear, 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 fear. Over here, it's the same carnal living, but it's less, 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 less. I want that for me. I want your money for me. Your car's nicer than mine. I want your car and I want you to have a bad headache. I want, I want, I want, I want. Lust, lust, lust. Me, 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 me. Both of these are what it means to live carnally. Now, what is the opposite of that to live spiritually? Over here, instead of fear, we know biblically, the fear motivation, if you're going to be spiritual, must be switched to love. 
Because perfect love is the spiritual opposite of fear. What is the difference in love? If everything you're motivated to do is in fear, you will always compete with other people. Like Eve, you will see even God as a competitor. And you want to either lust for what he has or fear what he can do to you. And so here you are, living carnally, fear, lust, fear, lust, fear, lust. You flip the switch. You decide, I am going to live spiritually. So you take advantage of the victory the Lord has already won for you. That is your salvation. You repent of your sins. You change your carnal identity for his identity. That's the point of baptism. And now you have his name. And his spirit is indwelling in you through uh, the Holy Ghost that fell on the day of Pentecost. And so here you are. You're being led by the Spirit of God in your life. This fear is going to change to love. And lust is going to change to mission or calling or anointing or purpose. You, it's all, this is a pick your word. You get the idea. So instead of fear and lust, you are transformed to love and mission. Now, this is just my terminology. I didn't read this in the book. I mean, well, besides the Bible. But I have that all memorized anyway, so... Uh, Y'all not going to laugh at my jokes today, really? The, oh, my mic went off? Oh, well, you can't laugh at jokes if you can't hear them. Uh, do I need to switch it out? Are we having mic problems? Um, if you, one of you guys would help me with that. Um, so uh, there's this spirit of the sound man who can't stop adjusting things. And it is rampant in the earth today. <laughs> yeah, let's try that. See, here's, here's, here's a spirit we need to pray against right here. No, Austin, you do a great job. You want me to turn this off? All right, so I have the Bible all memorized. That's what I was saying. No, just, just kidding. So this transformation is how we go from living of the carnal, fear and lust, and we're transformed into love and mission. What's the difference? It is the difference of deliverance from being self-centered. Fear and lust derives its center in self. Bad things could happen to me. Difficult things could happen to me. I'm very, very afraid. Lust, give me, give me, give me. I want a better job. I want to have the best pictures on Instagram. I want to look better than you do. Fear, lust, fear, and lust. So I get my little app, and I take a picture of myself, and you know how you put abs on yourself with those little deals, you know? First time in my life, I have abs now on, uh, well, you never see a picture of me with my shirt off. You can't handle that too much intimidation. It's just, and you ladies, y'all really have to make it to heaven. I mean, it just wouldn't be appropriate, you know? Nothing like 48-year-old men unclothed. Clothed. Anyway, moving along. And so you're living in this fear, and you're living in lust, and God wants to transform that to love what is God doing for others and mission. How is he going to use me to fulfill the kingdom? So when you switch from living carnally to living spiritually, fear is replaced with love and lust is replaced with mission. So let me tell you how to be a super frustrated believer. If you'd like to write this down, I can hook you up to be the most frustrated believer you have ever met in your life. You will be so frustrated you'll want to quit. You're like, what's new? <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> Try to do something spiritual from fear and lust. You will create a toxic 
spiritual environment. And you will feel impossible. It will feel absurd. Because the work of God in the kingdom of heaven does not make sense from the perspective of fear and lust. Nothing makes sense. If you want the kingdom of heaven to make sense, you must be transformed to love and mission. And then everything makes sense. I'll use myself as a personal example, and I'll be mean to me first, and then later on I'll be mean to you. How about that? So uh, as a pastor, I can pastor a church and try to do a good thing spiritually and do it from carnal positions of fear. Oh, they're not going to like me. I don't know why. They, they, They probably don't like my preaching. They don't laugh at my jokes. They probably think I'm getting old. Fear, 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 fear. It will destroy my faith. It is the opposite of love. It will destroy every good thing I'm trying to do. And worse than fear comes along lust. I want to have the bigger church than them. I want my church to be bigger. I want my name to be on the side of the private jet that flies into town for the giant televangelist. Lust will destroy the kingdom of God in your life. And there's no more, and this is me being honest, there's no more frustrated place for ministry than a person trying to do a spiritual work from the motivation factors of fear and lust. It will destroy you. You have to let it go and get to love and mission. Now it starts making sense. All right, so let me try to continue along now that I've preached way off my my uh, intended path. And so um, I want to I want to talk to you about uh, this idea of spiritual transformation. Um, you will not become a spiritual person by wanting it bad enough. Your will is not the answer. Uh, it's not how much you can grit your teeth and clench your fists and make something happen in your will. It's not even the act of your will. It is the surrender of your will. Somebody say that's good preaching. It's the surrender of your will. In fact, the whole of the scripture is showing you repeatedly the necessity of spiritual surrender. I want to I want to bring this point to life by uh, reminding you of the success of the twelve step program, uh, really all across the the, the Western world. Um, as of two thousand, ninety percent. Think about this: ninety percent of all American addiction treatment programs used the twelve step approach. These twelve steps were established by the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. And these 12 steps lay out a way of life that, interestingly, is the single biggest vehicle to freedom for addicts that we have ever found as a a, a culture. Um, Even the people who criticize this 12-step program have systems they offer that don't work as good as the 12-step program. And so I want you to see something about this. Um, If any other area of medicine... Any other arena of human health existed and your doctor sets you down. Imagine this. Say your heart or your liver or whatever. And your doctor sits you down and he says, now look at uh, the first step that we're going to do to treat your disease. The first thing we're going to do to treat your disease is um, you need to surrender to a higher power. That's step number one. Um, and we're going to pray together that your defects of character would be lifted, and uh, we want you to accept your powerlessness. If a doctor said that to you about anything, you would think they were off their medication. You would think they were crazy. 
But when it comes to the arena of addiction, it is so effective that 90% of the systems that exist are using some version of this 12-step process. Now, I won't read all 12 steps for you. I'll I'll, I'll reference uh, the first three of them for sure, but uh, I won't read them all. I want to point out to you, however, that if you had all 12 of them there, hear me, I want you to get this. I don't, I'm not just trying to get you to say amen. I I want you to let, I want you to get this idea because it has consequences. So uh, nowhere in the 12 steps does it say, all right now, let's try really hard not to drink. Nowhere in the 12 steps does it say, let's try really, let's grit our teeth and let's clench our fists and let's make up our mind, my God, and we're going to hold on and we're going to fast till the belly button falls off, my God, and we're going to pray till Brother Nathan's bored. And, uh, Not one of the 12 steps involves trying really hard. None of them even say, decide right now that you're never going to drink again. Not one of them says, I want you to think about this. This has consequences. Okay? Not one of them is to try really hard. Not one of them is decide you're not going to drink anymore. None of them about having a made-up mind. My God, I made up my mind. None of them are about you. Oh, y'all didn't just hear what I just said. That's some of the finest preaching I've done in my short, short life of 21 years. None of them are about you. These folks aren't even claiming to be religious like us, and it works for them. This is a profound, profound lesson. None of these steps are about you. The most powerful step starts, number one, admit you are powerless. Admit you are powerless. Admit that your life has become unmanageable. As long as you're in control, you're going to wreck this car. Admit that you're not a good driver. Admit that you don't know where you're going. Admit that if it's up to you, it's going to be nothing but drama running and children crying loudly. It's going to be a hot, fat mess if it's up to you. Number one, admit that you're not doing a good job controlling this thing and you are powerless. Number two, you need to come to believe that there is a power greater than yourself that can restore you. You need to believe there is a higher power who knows how to get it right when you don't know how to get it right. Knows how to lift you up when you only know how to go into the gutter. Knows how to change you. You see, it's not about how tough you are. It's not about how strong you are. There is a God, and he would like to work on your behalf. There is a God, and he would like to help you. It's not about you. It's about surrender. Number three, make a decision to turn your will and turn your life over to the care of God. That's so stinking good. The founder of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, he writes about this in the, uh, 
the blue, it's called the Blue Book. It's one of the, probably a founding document of, of the 12-step program. He says this, quote, we ought to ask this question, why is it that I can't stop? I say and I feel, in certain moments of my life, I say and I feel, never again. I know drinking is death. I'm going to quit, never again. I say never again, he writes, but then I do it again. Why I do it? Why do I do it again when it violates everything I believe, everything I value? The sober me looks at the drunk me and says, you're crazy. You're burning your house down. Everything worth having, you're destroying. And for that moment, that little while, the sober me is like, never again, never again. Sounds like Romans chapter number seven. That which I say I'm not going to do, I find myself doing. And that which I ought to do, I can't seem to find the strength to do that. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who, my God, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Don't stop reason. Praise be unto God. Giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't have time to preach that. And so, and so the writer of this blue book, uh, he goes on, quote, We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and the humiliation of even a week ago. The certain consequences that followed taking that drink. Do not crowd into our mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and they're readily replaced by the old threadbare idea that this time we can handle it ourselves. But the truth is you can't handle it yourself. If you can fix it, it'd already be fixed. What you need is God to begin working in your life. You need, wait for it, transformation. Not living by your power, not living by your authority, but the power of God living within you. And instead of saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I say, God, you're going to give me the strength that I need. You're going to give me the direction I need. And so this 12-step process, this 12-step program has been adopted by Gamblers Anonymous, adopted by Narcotics Anonymous, adopted, of course, uh, founded in Alcoholics Anonymous, but any of the, the addictions, they all have addi- they all have used this 12 steps. So really quick, just so you can understand um, maybe a little bit how our church feels and uh, uh, maybe, maybe help you understand uh, that um, I know how I can, I, I could destroy any 12-step program in America um, just by getting them to add one thing. All they have to do is add one thing, and they would destroy the effectiveness of their program. And that one thing would be this, add a guilt-shame function to their meetings. Sister Audrey agrees with me, praise God. All you have to do is add a guilt-shame function to the meeting, and you destroy the meeting. The people have guilt and shame inside, and they don't need the institutional guilt-shame. So any 12-step process that is successful, all you have to do to destroy it is add guilt-shame to it. Instead, create an environment of acceptance where a person who has been alcohol-free for 10 years can come in and be king of the show. 
They might be mentoring people, leading people. On the other hand, someone could show up for the first time and still smell like alcohol, still have them huge dilated peoples from narcotics, just recently have lost their paycheck, and they show up at the 12-step program. And you know what? Everybody's glad they're there. This is so important in understanding how change happens because the war that happens within is the result of what you can do and what you cannot do. And if you misunderstand the things you can't do as things you can do, you will have set yourself up for spiritual failure over, 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 rinse and repeat, cross go, do not collect $200, rinse and repeat, over, over, over again, because you will believe that you can do something you cannot do. And if you are dealing with profound frustration in your life, it's probably something you think you ought to be able to do. And you need to take your hands off and say, God, I surrender my will. I surrender my will. I'm not competing with you. You've got to give me strength. You've got to give me help. You've got to give me anointing. If you can win the battle within, it empowers you to influence the battle abroad. And this is what spiritual warfare so often feels like in, in, in the individual experience of the believer. I'm almost done. Musicians come. Uh, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Uh, on the contrary, the weapons we fight with, their power, it's not a worldly power. It's a divine power. And even so, this divine power demolishes strongholds. This is a very intentional image, and it's something that the readers in the generation it was written to immediately understood, because strongholds in the geopolitics of the day uh, was deeply understood. An army could not, they could conquer a land, but they could not keep the land if they did not have a stronghold. And so the way they would maintain the conquest, it's one thing to defeat an army in the battle, but if you don't have a stronghold in the land from which to exercise dominion, did y'all hear what I just said? It's from the stronghold that the conquering power exercises dominion over a conquered land. And so whether they are being attacked from without, the stronghold is defense. But if they are oppressing the land, the stronghold is offense because it is the place where the army goes to to marshal their strength, reorganize, re-equip, heal up, and then they issue forth again. And so the writer, the Apostle Paul, wants you to see strongholds in from that perspective. A stronghold is an idea that exists in your mind that is destroying your spiritual effectiveness. It is destroying your calling. It is destroying your spiritual battle. It is trapping you in fear and lust and blocking you from living in love and mission. That's what a stronghold is doing to you. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a a lie you have believed. We are not ignorant of Satan's devices. How does he attack? Man, there's so much in this. There's just, it's just, in there, it, it's like a snowball. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, so how does Satan attack Eve? He does it with a lie. 
It's not an explicit lie. It's an implied lie. It's a question that he hopes she will answer in fear and lust. Same thing he does to Jesus. If thou be the Son of God. If thou be. It is the opportunity to believe a lie. And the question he poses makes sense from the perspective of fear and lust. But to get out of fear and lust, you have to go to love and mission. And then the lie is revealed and you do not believe the lie. And so what lie has hell convinced you to believe? That lie has become a stronghold in your life that is destroying spiritual effectiveness in your family. It's destroying joy. It's making serving God a joyless experience rather than love for others and mission for the world. It's making your life fear. I don't know if I'm saved. And lust. Who do they think they are getting more than me? And so we, to be effective spiritually, we must be transformed. That's going to happen by the Spirit of God in our life. That's going to happen by the renewing of what? Our minds. And the Spirit is going to cast down imaginations. Idea that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? The knowledge of God is truth. Biblical truth. That's the knowledge of God. Biblical truth. Ideas that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. The lie I love y'all. I'm not being mean to you. I love you. I'll give you three hugs after church. The lie you have believed is the enemy that's blocking your progress. The lie you have embraced is what is keeping you stuck. I rebuke the lie today in Jesus' name. The lie may have been given. Man, I feel the presence of the Lord right now. The lie may have been given to you when you were a little child. And you may have lived your whole life under the burden of a stronghold. A lie, a lie, a lie, a lie. And now you try to shake the lie off. But it's so formative to you that it exalts itself against the knowledge of God in your life. The lie may be something you convinced yourself to be true after a failure. You had a failure and you learned the wrong lesson from the failure. And you decided the failure meant you were a failure, not that you experienced a failure. And now the stronghold has become your identity. And you can't stand in his identity because you're too busy celebrating in a negative way your identity. You have believed the lie and the lie is the stronghold in your life. I speak against the lie in Jesus' name. And I want you to know this. Let go. Let it go. And say, Lord, I surrender this to you. The name of Jesus is a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe. I present myself to you, O God. Would you renew this mind? 
would you renew this mind? Take your hand, put it up here on your head, like you say, Lord, would you renew this mind? Would you renew this mind in Jesus' name? We rebuke the lie. We are not children of the lie. We are not inheritors of the lie. We are children of the truth. We are inheritors of the truth. And today we celebrate not what we are in failure, but who you are in grace. And we who are fallen assume your identity, you who are victorious. Would you stand all over the house right now? I'm preaching to some of you. I want to. I want to get them. We'll all come in a moment, but I want to create an opportunity to take a faith step here. Um, if I'm preaching to you today and you're ready to take a faith step because you're ready to put that behind you, I want you to step out of your seat and come stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not embarrass you. You know I don't do that. That's not my style. I want you to step out. I want to take a faith step today. This step right here is a public affirmation. In the same way that baptism is a public affirmation, this step right now is a public affirmation. I'm letting go. I'm surrendering my will to God. I refuse the lie. I refuse the lie. I am not the inheritor of the lie. I am not the child of the lie. I am emboldened only to hold to the truth and manifest the truth. Now, the rest of you who would, I'd like you to step out. Our guests and friends, feel free to come with us. You don't have to, but feel free if you'd like to. Just come stand behind these right now. And as you come, I'd like you to maybe maybe reach out toward one of them. If you're close to one, put a maybe even put a hand on their shoulder or extend a hand to them. I want our pastoral team to begin to move among these people here today because the Holy Ghost is going to do something in this house right now. The Holy Ghost is going to do something right now. Some of you, when you feel the anointing oil touch your forehead, you're going to feel the power of God in your life like a charge of electricity that just flows through you. When they anoint you with oil in this house, you're going to feel a surge of unction, of spiritual unction begin to move through you. I need some of my pastoral team down here working right now. Those of you, some of our leaders, I need you down here working right now. Find somebody. We rebuke the lie in Jesus' name, and we stand in the authority of the Word of God. Satan is a liar. His gift is the lie. His power is deception built, and without deception, there is no power. And so we're speaking victory in this house right now. I want to remind all of you that hell has no power in your life except through deception. Did you guys hear what I said? Hell has no power in your life except through deception. He goeth about as a roaring lion. There's only one lion of the tribe of Israel. The lion of Judah. (laughs) But the enemy goes about as deception is what gives hell power. And so our greatest enemy, or excuse me, our greatest weapon against the enemy is to have an accurate understanding of the kingdom of heaven. An accurate understanding of the promises of God. That's why you don't need to have conversations with the devil. Stop talking to the devil. Quote scripture to the devil. 
quote scripture to the devil. Like the woman who came home with a new dress, told her husband the devil made her buy it. He said, why didn't you tell me, tell that devil to get thee behind you? She said, I did. And he said, it looked pretty good from back there too. I want so much for us. I want so much for us to understand how how the enemy is able to have effective attacks against us. Uh, and I want you so much to understand how deception of the enemy, deception over what your calling is, deception over whether or not your work is done. I'm too old for that. I'm not smart enough to teach a Bible study. I'm not, I'm not dynamic enough to lead a, a fellowship group. I'm just little old me. And I'm going to say, you've believed a lie. God believed in you. Who are you to say God made a mistake? You want to have an argument with God about whether or not you're able to do? Oh, I just want to be saved. You're living in fear. Salvation's done. God's already, that's a battle that has been won. Now you have the opportunity to love somebody and get missional. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. Uh, Next Sunday, I'm going to do part two of this message. Today's the war within. I'm trying to get to the kingdom within. As Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Uh, I'm trying to get to the kingdom within. Um, I may have to do a little bit more on the war within because I got sidetracked. And it's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. A hundred percent. I am innocent. I will not believe the lie that this is my fault. It's not going to happen. Okay, so... um, if you have questions about First Church or you want to become a member of First Church, the, the path for you is First Steps class, which I teach after this service right across the parking lot. We'll serve you lunch. We'll sit together. Ask me anything. Uh, today we're on Lesson 2, so if you haven't had Lesson 2, uh, but the path to membership uh, here at First Church is to go through First Steps. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.